0: Welcome to Commons and Chronicles, the podcast where we talk about all the best creative commons and reusable open game license content. If you need resources for your creative writing, game design, or you just love lore, Commons and Chronicles is for you. Hi everyone, this is Commons and Chronicles. My name's Klaatu. In this episode, I want to do a short introduction to the concept of dragons, and I want to kick off a little bit of a mini-series about dragons within the show. Dragons are obviously a very popular construct, and have been for a very long time, probably longer than we even realize. But on the other hand, the the idea of what the word dragon represents has also changed significantly. If you look back at early art involving dragons, a lot of times the dragon is disappointingly just a snake, maybe a large snake, or maybe a a snake-like cat. Doesn't really resemble the fearsome, towering, fire-breathing beast that we all associate with the term dragon. Now, I don't have the background to delve into the actual history of dragons, but I do have a considerable amount of experience with dragons from the Dungeons & Dragons angle. I remember growing up that there, was a, there were... There were people with opinions on dragons, and I often wondered how they, how they got those opinions so strongly. Now there were some kids who really, really loved dragons, based on popular mythology aside from D and and then they f- would find their way. You know, they'd be the ones with the trapper keepers with the dragons on the front, and every every. Every sticker they would ever have anywhere would be a a shiny dragon, and and so on. They just kind of knew about dragons based on on, on actual dragon history. Actual dragon history. I mean, mythology, uh, folklore, true folklore. And then they might find their ways, at least, you know, the ones that I was hanging around with, they would find their ways into D&D primarily through their existing love of dragons. Which I always thought was a fascinating way to find your way into D&D. That's certainly not how I found my way into D&D. But I, I, I imagine, and I don't know, because it's not been my experience, but I imagine it must be really exciting for someone who, as a kid, fell in love with dragons, this concept of these, these majestic, really ...beautiful and semi-terrifying creatures, depending on the literature that you're reading. And then to discover a game... ...that... ...that explored... ...the, the lineage and the nature of... ...of... ...of these... ...of these creatures that you had been collecting art and books about, and so on. And there have been lots of great book series about dragons. Anne McCaffrey, Dragon Riders of Pern series, was hugely influential in how people, fantasy nerds at least, uh, viewed how dragons and, and, and their companions interact and that there were even companions at all. Likewise, Dragonlance, that was kind of the one that I latched onto. Dragonlance influenced how people saw the dragon interaction with with humans. I think McCaffrey predates Dragonlance by about know, 20 years or something. She, she was a lot earlier than... than D and D, the original trilogy at least. Dragonflight, Dragon Quest, and uh, the White Dragon. So th- there, and there was this. So there was this idea that people could interact with dragons on a friendly, in a friendly way, and they weren't necessarily enemies, and that they maybe even had some kind of connection, a telepathic connection. There were also the kids who came to dragons. I felt through just sort of popular action series, dragon, what was it called, dragon slayer, and things like that, just the the obvious fantasy worlds and legends around dragons, and then to discover a game where they could go in and, and fight dragons themselves must have been, well, it must have been exactly what D&D was for, for everyone, really. Just one of those dreams come come true, that you could do these these, these things in a game, and the game was, was infinitely flexible. It was exactly what we were all looking for, except we didn't know we were looking for it. But it, it, it gave us structure to what we were doing in our backyards anyway. But dragons, specifically because they're in the title of the game and they've structured or they've they've molded so much of the game whether it was through dragonlance or simply through their ability to be the biggest and baddest monster in the in the game world they've been they they they're a force to reckon with in in a fiction sense there's something that that have so much history to them, and yet somehow needed to be distinct and and unique somehow to D and D. And it's not universal by any means, but I would say that it's quite common for people now to think of dragons somewhat in the D&D sense. Again, not 100% universal by any means. You'll still find other people's interpretations of dragons all over the place. But there's been an influence from D&D talking about how different dragons have, have a specific nature, and how maybe... The different colors of dragons affect that nature their size their their lifespan and even whether it's a a chromatic a a colorful dragon or a metallic dragon and how that might affect or, or indicate their their true nature so in this little mini series i'd like to talk about each of the really all of the dragons really, all of the dragons. I want to cover the, the, the different dragons in third-party publications almost most of all, but in order to do that, I feel like we need to be able to contextualize what we're reading in these third-party publications, because they are directly inspired and affected by established D&D lore on what a dragon is, what 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 it means to be a dragon, how you can tell one dragon from another, and so on. So in order to classify the third-party dragons, I feel like we need to come to a universal understanding of what the D&D dragons specifically are. And luckily there's a book specifically about this. It's called the Draconomicon. D-R-A-C-O-N-O-M-I-C-O-N. I I have this from the the, the 3.5 edition days, and it's still on my bookshelf. It's a beautiful book. It's one of the most stunning books, I think, in the D and D canon. And and frankly, it's probably the best. I mean, it truly lives up to its name. It it is definitely the definitive work, fiction work, on on the whole world of dragons. The first f- chapter, the first fifty seven pages or so is is about the the dragons as a creature and it talks about how the eye the eyeball of a dragon it, it shows a bisection of um, of the eyeball a little drawing and I mean obviously it's a drawing uh, and there, there are different parts. There's the outer lens and the inner lens, uh, the inner lens being composed of transparent muscle fibers that can polarize incoming light. And this helps the dragon process what it sees, and it... it actually sees light twice once when it strikes the retina and then again when it's reflected back and all of this physiology helps the dragon do things like magnify what it sees in certain in certain areas which is which is how dragons have such can see from such a, a, a far from so, so far away they're able to do that because they have special muscles and and um, r- light refraction and and the ability to to control you know sort of zoom and enhance what they're seeing. It also goes into their skeletal structure. It, it talks about how dragons being reptilian is really only skin deep. The the similarity between A dragon and a lizard is is pretty shallow, actually. And it goes into two really, really detailed um, things about the dragon's skeleton. The 13th cervical vertebrae is the base of a dragon's neck. Every true dragon, no matter how large or small, has exactly 13 cervical vertebrae, uh, 12 thoracic uh vertebrae or th- th- thoracic uh vertebrae and seven lumbar vertebrae uh and 36 caudal vertebrae which i think i think that must be the tail to have 36 it's got to be something uh, pretty pretty long but yeah that's it it talks about that sort of thing it talks about the size of their brain being quite large generally speaking it talks about the flow of their blood talks about their muscles and how their lungs take up most of their body uh, most of the trunk is is lung so that they can inhale lots and lots of air talks about their diets of course that's going to change between between different creatures and even their incubation so and that's just the first 57 pages or so after that you get into gaming specific mechanics that are Obviously, very useful while while running a game. So I want to end that, So in, in case you aren't super familiar with this, and, and not everyone is, I feel like I sometimes take it for granted. Um, but there are sort of there's a certain set of I guess canonical dragon types in D and D. The the two broad groups are chromatic, meaning color chrome color chromatic and metallic the chromatic dragons are sort of on the on the evil side of the spectrum obviously evil to neutral and there's some some variation there but they they lean towards the the evil side in varying degrees the metallic lean towards the good and again there's some some flexibility there so the chromatic dragons of kind of the again the the canonical D&D set of dragons and and there's flexibility here and we're going to explore that in the future because i i mean that's really what i want to explore but the the original set at least original from my perspective now i don't know uh, I, I didn't go back to, like, first edition to find out what dragons their monster manual or w- whatever it was back then listed. I didn't do that. I'm not interested in that, really. The... I mean, I'm sure I'm very interested in it, but I'm not for the purposes of this episode or the future episodes. What I'm interested in is kind of the... once the, the sort of the... the idea of these dragons, re- and, and codifying the dragons and how they are, took hold... What became of that? And what kind of got settled on pretty quickly, as evidenced by the dra- Draconomicon, I think, is the the chromatic, the color dragons, include black, white, blue, green, and red. Those are the colorful dragons. So they, they're on the evil side of the spectrum. The metallic ones, the good ones, to good, uh, are brass bronze copper gold and silver so that's the those are the two the two groups and the members of each group i think if we're going to set about classifying all of these dragons i think it's safe to assume that within Within these two groups there are other members that are not listed here and in fact I know that there are because I know that there were there there are there there's other material out there that that talk about further dragons and I think all of that stuff is really really interesting because of the fan base that dragons already have and the recognition that there really don't only have to be 12 dragons, or whatever that number was that I just listed, and that that there's enough dragon variation to go around. I I like that because it acknowledges that dragons are, after all, fictional and magical creatures. So some people might think it's ridiculous to, to come up with purple dragons and camouflage dragons, and ruby red dragons, and whatever else you can come up with. But frankly, I think that's one of the appeals of dragons, is that, especially after D&D kind of recognized that there are a a set, an official set of of colored dragons, and and an official set of metallic dragons, and these are what they are then why not take that further and give people who happen to just want a purple dragon, or who want some other kind of dragon, why not give them that kind of dragon? It doesn't cost us anything. It's fiction. So we're going to start with the the established dragons. We're going to analyze them, talk about them, and then eventually we'll get into the third-party dragons, and all the extra dragons that I can possibly find, because it's a super interesting study, and I don't see why I would start with anything aside from a white dragon. Now, a white dragon, as you might imagine, is a mountain-dwelling, cold-based dragon, so it is not your traditional Dragon in the sense of, I don't know, Sir Lancelot fighting the evil, uh, fire-breathing, sort of red or green dragon. This is a white dragon. It's actually one of the smaller and least intelligent of, of the dragons, of all, of all the different kinds of dragons. They are typically found in very, very high mountains, in typically arctic areas. Possibly alpine, I don't know, but definitely like arctic passes and arctic m- mountains that are that are high and, and far away from mankind. So very likely they're they're pretty rare in practice. They they are, as I say, the least intelligent of of the dragons, of the official dragons, of the true dragons. Uh, but that doesn't mean they're dumb it's just that the, their lifestyle happens to to not optimize their intelligence i think and kind of optimizes their animal their animalistic instincts white dragons are usually found in icy caves or deep subterranean chambers far away from the sun you know that try to get get away from the warmth of the sun they prefer the cool areas they're sometimes found near water um, and they 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 do their their daily routine would be hunting and then uh, sort of retreating to their to their lair now they will only consume food that's been frozen so they they really are quite quite fond of 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 the cold so they don't really eat. Raw meat as such, they eat frozen meat. They're a, a gorgeous, gorgeous creature, too. If you look at uh, certainly the Draconomicon, or, I mean, and they, that is being sold as a PDF on DriveThru uh, RPG. So, yeah, I think it's, well, it's DriveThru or DM's Guild. One of those two, obviously. The Draconomicon 3.5 edition. I think it might have been re released for 4th edition, but I'm much more interested in the 3.5 stuff because it's it goes nicely with Pathfinder so the if you can find a, a picture of a white dragon uh, as described in the dra- draconomicon it, it's really they're 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 quite beautiful creatures i mean they really are they're they're absolutely just they have a sort of soft features uh, and a beautiful wingspan and uh yeah they appeal they appeal greatly to me in 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 both design and in fondness for the winter White dragons devour creatures killed by its breath weapon, generally speaking, uh, and their breath weapon, as you might imagine, is indeed a a winter a wintry breath a, a cold cold breath attack. Usually, you know, depending on the size, fifteen, twenty, thirty foot cone that that range. A gargantuan white dragon, which is is not typical, would be eighty five feet. Overall, from from tip of the snout to end of the tail, the body length of about 23 feet. I don't know how you think of measurement, but I, I typically feel, uh, I typically think in terms of how many of me's that is. So the body length of 23 feet. If I'm approximately, I don't know, 5'10, let's call it 6, it'd be a good four of me, right? So that's pretty big that's gargantuan. Like I say, that's not actually all that typical. Probably more typical, you're looking at huge body length 20 feet, still pretty good. 14 foot neck, 21 foot tail, 20,000 pounds. The gargantuan can weigh up to 160,000 pounds, so not lightweight. The thing you have to look out for with white dragons, I I imagine, well, are, are a couple of different things. First of all, they they do they are known to bury their prey th- their kills in the snow because again they really like their food frozen so they bury them in the snow and then go around and dig them back up when they feel like th- 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 like they're ready so if you're walking out in the in the snowy mountains it, it would be quite possible for you to encounter a white dragon just out on the prowl not for food, not to not not on the hunt, but on the on the hunt for their own larder, trying to locate where they where they stashed some some food that they killed, you know, a month ago or or a week ago or whatever it might be. Alternatively, if you find a dragon's larder, uh, then I mean it could just be a frozen, buried creature. Uh, but it could be a white dragon's stash, and that would be a good indication that there's a high probability of a white dragon in the area. White dragons do typically keep to themselves, however. They, they don't hang out with other white dragons, although they do enjoy the opposite sex of white dragons, and they, they are known to mate for fun rather than for procreation. They aren't really great parents, though. They seldom tend to their eggs, and they they lay their eggs near their lairs, and the parent lets the white dragon dragon the wormling uh, move in for a little while, but pretty quickly, sort of expects the 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 child to to um, to move on to, to become self sufficient, move on quickly. The white dragons lay for a dragon tiny eggs that incubate for 420 days. A tiny egg is about a foot in length. It weighs about a pound to destroy it or to, to open it. The break DC is 12. So that's a tiny egg for a dragon. The white dragon has remained pretty consistent throughout D&D as far as I can tell. Again, without going too, too far back, I mean, I do know that there was an Ice Drake in the original Fiend folio, and I know this because it's referenced in a third-party publication, which re revives the Ice Drake, but that's not quite the White Dragon, is it? So, the 3.5 edition and the Dragonlance uh, version, which was, I think, 2E, and then, I mean, I, I think Dragonlance actually spanned a couple of editions but the one that i know is 2e and so so the dragon lance version of the white dragon the 3.5 edition of the white dragon and the 5e version of the white dragon are all completely in agreement really i, I couldn't find anything that that had changed between edition and edition in fifth edition we've got uh, the white dragon being classified as chaotic evil a medium dragon Armor class is 16, based on natural armor. Hit point's 32, so that's 5 hit die, uh, 5d8s plus 10. They have a speed of 30, they fly 60, but then they can burrow 15 and they can swim at 30. Their stats are Strength 14, Dex 10, Con 14, Int 5, Wisdom 10, and Charisma 11. They speak Draconic, and their primary attack is going to be their cold breath, which recharges in 5 or 6. The dragon exhales an icy blast of hail in a 15-foot cone. Each creature in that area must take a DC 12 constitution saving throw, taking 22, that's 5d8, cold damage on a failed save, or half as much on a successful one. And they are exactly as... Described previously in the 3.5 uh, edition, the Draconomicon, there there's there's no difference really, whatsoever. Everything from their sort of solitary nature to their preference for f- all things frozen and and icy. In the Pathfinder Bestiary, it's pretty much the same story. We have the White Dragon, page 100. It is a tiny dragon. Which doesn't mean that it's a tiny creature, it just means that it's a tiny dragon. Its speed is 60 feet, it burrows 30 feet, so those are swapped, and then swims for 60 feet. It has a natural armor rating of plus 2 for an overall AC of 20-ish, depending on, depending on the the size of the dragon that you're dealing with could be anywhere from 20 to, to 27. That said, even its, for instance, an AC 27, the touch AC is a mere 10, and flat-footed goes down to to 26. And again, its its special abilities are are centered around its cold breath, which in the Uh, pathfinder the 3.5 days it is the breath cone uh, is 2d4 cold damage but then there are special attacks that it can take to cause for instance what's called a blizzard creates heavy snow conditions in a 50 foot radius for one minute centered on the dragon this snow slows movement four squares of movement per square entered and limits vision as fog does it has a cold aura. It has freezing fog, ice shape. They can shape ice and snow at will. Lots of fancy things uh, that a, a, a chromatic white dragon can do. And they're again classified as a chaotic evil creature. There's a pretty great spectrum from from a wormling to a very young dragon to a young dragon to a juvenile, and so on. So they 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 gain speci- different special abilities as they age, uh, up to a great worm, and they have at 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 a certain point at their in their adult years they they gain the innate ability to cast spells. That's everything I have on the white dragons. I think, like I say, they're very they're a very consistent dragon, and. They're one of my favorites because of the the winter aspect. I love the winter, what can I say? Flipping the dragon trope on its head like that is just so obvious. Dragons usually breathe fire, so this one breathes ice. It's just such an obvious kind of trick, and yet it works so very well. Hope you enjoyed this, hope it was informative. Thanks for listening, talk to you next time. that's it for this week's episode. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Klaatu. You can reach me uh, via email at klaatu at member.fsf.org. You can also usually catch me in IRC as NotKlaatu. I'm on the Freenode Network. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.